Here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing his very personal letter to the people there at Philippi. He has told them that he's praying for them, what he's praying for them about. Now he's going to kind of share with them what's going on in his life. Because see, they didn't know. They just got word, hey, Paul's in Rome. He's under house arrest. How did all this happen? And this is what he says in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, one of the things that just kind of jumps off the page when you look at this and you begin to spend some time with it is that Paul, in the midst of really difficult circumstances, I mean, he he keeps talking about his imprisonment, but he's got an eternal perspective here. Hey, this, this has actually turned out for good. And it reminded me that, you know, circumstances are those things in all of our lives that are the uncontrollable peace, Right? Circumstances. Now, most of us have a plan for tomorrow, correct? We've got a little bit of a schedule. Maybe it's written down, but in your mind, hey, I've got this appointment or I'm going to work or whatever. But none of us knows what circumstances may change that between now and then. I mean, you may go rolling home, and as you're starting to put your garage door up, you see water coming out. Your hot water tank is fa- has failed. Uh-oh circumstances have changed your life. Or you may be rolling out tomorrow morning to go jump in your car to go to that first appointment and there's a, there's a tire that's flat. You know, circumstances are those pieces that we don't really have any control, but they affect all of our lives. And none of us knows what the circumstances of tomorrow are going to be. Now you think about that for a moment from Paul's perspective. The last time the church at Philippi had heard from Paul, we were studying this in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, was that he was taking a gift from the churches there in Macedonia, and he was going to take that gift back to the churches in Jerusalem and Judea that were going through hard times as a way of blessing them, because they had blessed them by sending Paul and them on their missionary journey, Right? So Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he gives them the gift, he goes to the temple, and there in the temple, his enemies, the Jews who think that he, that he is destroying the Jewish religion, basically jump on him. They start beating the liver out of him. They're going to kill him. There's such a, a mayhem. The Romans come in and they grab Paul. Now think about that for a moment. You're the one minding your own business, walking down the streets of your neighborhood. Your enemies who don't like you jump out. The police show up and they call you off to jail circumstances Paul faced. Then the Roman guards and, and the Roman centurion there gets word that they're going to they're gonna try to, to kill Paul when he brings them for this, this hearing. So he mounts up them on, on, on horses, sends them to Caesarea, and for two years, now think about that, not two hours or two days or two weeks, but for two years, Paul sets in Caesarea because he was attacked. He can't be out traveling. He can't be out preaching the gospel like he would like. He can't be spreading the good news. He's in Caesarea. That's his circumstances. 
Then a new governor comes in, and, and he wants to take Paul back to, to, to Jerusalem, but Paul knows that he will be killed if that happens. And so as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. So now they've got to take him to Rome. And so they put him on a boat. They begin to send him. It's getting late in the year. Paul tells them, listen, don't, don't take this next boat. We're, we're, it's too late. They go, no, no, no. The winds are favorable, right? They get out in the midst of this terrible storm. <laughs> By the way, have you seen the video of that? You know, they're life fighting people off that cruise ship. How would you like to have paid for that one, right? Okay. So Paul, but that's Paul saying, it's getting too late in the year, all right? And sure enough, man, the storm, so they're battered. So he's in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm. storm. There's a shipwreck just off the coast of Malta. They all end up swimming in. And then they get there, they're building a fire. And as Paul's gathering some sticks, a viper comes out and bites him. Do you remember that old country song, if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all? I mean, that's Paul. That's the circumstances. And then he gets to Rome, and I don't know if you picked it up, but he says it twice, verse 13, that, so that my imprisonment. Now, the literal translation of the Greek term is chains, or it can mean shackles. He says it again in verse 14. Uh, in the Lord, because of my chains, my shackles. So at best, Paul is under house arrest, so he can't leave. So he is imprisoned, in essence, in his own house. The Roman guards are there watching him. He can't leave. People can come into him, but he can't go. At worst, he's under house arrest, but he's literally chained to the wall with little 18-inch chains. We don't know. And yet in the middle of the uncontrollable variables of his life, the circumstances that he cannot change, what does he say? Man, it's falling out for the, the good of the Lord. God is in this. Folks, it is so easy for us to allow circumstances to dictate our life. How we feel, how we think about, does God love me or not? You know, for so many, it's this idea, especially in our culture today, this entitlement culture. Anything goes wrong, we have any adversity, and it's not fair, it's not right. We become victims. And we're going to blame somebody. We're going to get mad at God. It's so easy for us to allow circumstances. But as a child of God, as one who has been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, now we begin to understand that God, God is greater than our circumstances. God can even be at work in our circumstances because there's nothing in our life that he doesn't allow that he can't use for his purpose. Folks, that's what the, when we allow the gospel not just to save us, not just give us the promise of eternal life, but really begins to impact our life, it's the fact that God is greater than our circumstances. I was going to say God trumps our circumstances, but some of you would have thought I was getting political, so I, I changed it. He's greater than our circumstances. Isn't that true? That God is at work, and that though Paul isn't um isn't free god's at work god has him my circumstances have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel you're under house arrest yeah but god's in the circumstances folk when we grow in our knowledge of the gospel when we grow in our, in our understanding of what god is doing through the gospel what it does 
is it teaches us that we can trust Him. We can trust Him in the midst of the circumstances. He's bigger than the circumstances. I mean, you stop and you think about it. Isn't that really the heart of the gospel? I mean, because the gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? So you think about his death. You think about it for a moment from the, from the disciples' perspective. This was the Messiah. This was the, the seed of David. This was God's son. He's dying on a cross. The circumstances that went from him being hailed as the coming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to him dying on a cross in like five days. It spiraled out of control. Where is God? How could this happen? And yet we look back with 2020 hindsight vision and know, you know what? God had a bigger plan, right? God was doing something far. This wasn't just about the Romans. This wasn't even just about the Jews. This was about that as the Messiah, he was going to provide the forgiveness for their sin, that he was going to make us right with God, that, that he was going to bring us back into all that we had lost at the fall. And oh, by the way, he was going to conquer death because on Easter Sunday morning, he's coming up out of the tomb. And how does he conquer death if he does not die? How is there a resurrection without death? You see, God had a bigger plan. And and in your life and my life, when we begin to let the gospel permeate us, we begin to understand that sometimes when we go through those miserable circumstances in our life that we can trust because maybe God's doing something we don't see. And I wish this is something that we learn once, right? And check the box. Well, I got that. I'll never be concerned again. It's not the way it works. Because I've learned that lesson many times. But I, I was thinking about when uh, you all know my story. What got me to Arizona is uh, my wife had died in childbirth. I had this little baby. I needed my family. They had just moved to, to Phoenix. That's what moved me here. And uh, I was here, and about a year and a half into it, I met this gorgeous little blonde fireball. And uh, after some time, man, my heart, in fact, you all don't know me. I'm just, my wife hates this expression, but I'm just a guy, I like to put all my cards on the table. So, on, because she hates the poker analogy, okay? But that, that's just, it's the best way I know how to explain it. And so that first day when I knew I had feelings for her, I mean, I just, I had the talk. I said, listen, you've got to understand, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm looking for a wife and a mother for my little boy. And are you up to see that, take that journey with me to figure this out? And thankfully she was. And it took us all of about, I think, 10, 12 days, all right? And then we knew. And so it's in the spring, it's like early April, she's teaching school, and we're going to get married, and we're going to get married soon. And I'm going to tell any of you that aren't married, best advice I can give you is date somebody forever, it's okay, but when you decide to get married, get married. Don't put, this idea of these long, I don't get it. Number one, because you're asking for temptation, right? You know, I had been married before. I, I knew, you know, when I was married the first time, I went in as a virgin. I would, you know, I, I, and I kept myself pure. I've been married. I experienced this. You know, and I'm a pastor, and there's something about being impure and being a pastor that doesn't work. So I, I was trying to keep from temptation. Secondly, I was living with my parents, right? You know, I, I wanted to kind of get out. I wanted to get back with a family. And so, so, I mean, we set the date as like, I think it was eight weeks later. You know, school was over. We are getting married. We set the date. We are so excited. Life is good. And then I got a call from a family member. Not 
immediate family. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't Pam's parents. It wasn't any of her brothers and sisters. But it was extended family that got winded. I got engaged and said, Steve, you know that there's this investigation into Pam's death. Yeah, I, I knew that. Uh, her parents st stand to profit from this to, to get something that would really help them. And they were in a place where they needed to help. And I said, yeah, but, you know, they're talking five years. No, they've decided this is going to come to a head this fall. And if you're married, it can affect what they get. Now, what do you do? Well, the hardest decisions were made. You know, Pam, Pam's biggest prayer was for her dad to come to faith in Jesus. He didn't know the Lord. The only thing I needed to do is I, I needed to honor them. And we decided to postpone. Well, Pam's already not, or Tammy's already not signed her contract to go back and teach. I mean, my mom loved taking care of my little boy, but she was done with that too. She's ready to get back on to life. So, so we just said, okay, Tammy, you're not going to teach, and you just start taking care of Jamie, and, and, and we're just going to put this off for six months. And that, that's it. We're going to get married December 1st. And it was hard. Man, it was hard. Didn't understand it. But it was so funny. Two things happened. First of all, and I think mostly because of that decision, you know, Pam's family absolutely loves Tammy. In fact, I'm not even sure they really like me, but they love her. <laughs> they called Tom, talked to her, uh, which is really good for me. They don't want to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think it all started because of what they perceived as her care for them in that decision. But here, for me, was the biggest piece. So she's watching Jamie during the day. And, uh, and we were into the fall, so this has been going on for some months, and we're getting excited about getting married, but so my folks are there, Tammy and I are there, Jamie's playing in the other room, and all of a sudden he hurts himself, you know, and he's crying, and he's running, and that's the thing as a parent, you know, if they're running when they're crying, they didn't, you know, they didn't kill them, so they didn't cut off their legs, so they're okay, so you just wait for him, and he comes running in crying, you know, and he, he runs past me, which is no shock. But then he ran past his grandpa and his grandma, who he has a really special relationship with. And he ran to Tammy. And she's comforting him and loving him. And in that moment, my dad and mom and I caught eyes and we went, do you know what God has been doing underneath all of this? He has already bonded him to her as mother, son, and we're not even married yet. So that when we get back from our honeymoon, this isn't all, she's got to, you know, that bonnie's got to take place. Now we got to figure out his family. She was already mom before we got married. Folks, the gospel teaches us that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, there's nothing that touches us that God doesn't know. It didn't come as a surprise to him. And he can use it. And so we can trust him. We can trust him. And I don't know what you may be going through today. I don't know. You know, I got to hurt Louis Palau the other night. And, you know, I didn't realize about a year ago he's diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. He said, I had, had this cough. I'd been out preaching. And he said, I went to the doctor. They told me I got stage four lung cancer. He goes, man, I, I'm wondering what happened to stage one, two, and three. I missed all those, you know. But his whole point is, <laughs> I got to tell people about Jesus. God's in the circumstances. 
And it gives us that opportunity. And, and what he says here is, first of all, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So the heart of this is this. Think about it. If God is wishing that everybody comes to that understanding of the gospel, doesn't it make sense someplace along the line that maybe God puts you and I in circumstances that we aren't normally in so that we can get there to live and share Jesus with people who don't know him? Doesn't that kind of make sense? That if God is wishing that everybody understood about him and we come to faith in him, and yet we don't, they don't have any Christians in their circles, that God would take us in some difficult circumstances, maybe for us, and put us in that path so that we could live Jesus in front of them. Makes perfect sense. I guess the question is, does God want everybody to know him? Well, 2 Peter 3 says he does. The Lord's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so when we begin to look at it that way, and that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is, you know, this is falling out for the furtherance of the gospel. Well, how? Well, think about it for a moment. So if Paul had gone into Rome, like he went into Philippi, like he went into Thessalonica, like he went into Corinth, he would have gone to the Jews first, they probably would have rejected. He would have then gone to the, to the public market and he would have begun to preach the gospel. But now he's there as a, as a prisoner. So now he's got to be watched. He talks Praetorian guard. That was, the best way I could put it, that was the special ops. Those were the soldiers that were most loyal and, and, the, and the most fierce fighting guys. They, they went directly with Caesar. By the way, do you know who Caesar is at this point? guy by the name of Nero. You maybe have heard of him. He didn't like Christians. But every four hours, a new soldier has to come and sit with Paul. And they've got to hear him as he talks to people who come. He's got to hear him as he sings his songs. They've got to hear him. By the way, he is the apostle Paul. Share the gospel. Let me ask you, who's the prisoner? Right? I mean, that's like shooting ducks in a barrel for Paul. And they're hearing the gospel and they're becoming saved. Now, now you think about it. I mean, you talk, you know, today a lot of talk about deep state. That's the Praetorian Guard. That's exactly where God put Paul, even though he's under house arrest and possibly chained to the wall. But God gave him in those opportunities, the opportunities to share Jesus. Folks, circumstances continually provide for those opportunities in our life. I love this verse at the end of Philippians. <coughs> it's almost a throwaway verse, just a little, hey, saying goodbye. <laughs> All the saints here in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. His oikos! Right? Because they become believers. Why? Because they've sat and talked to Paul and they got saved and then they went out and started sharing it. And God, was it worthful? I don't know what circumstances you're going through today. You maybe feel like you're imprisoned. But have you ever thought that maybe God's put you there because there's someone, he, 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 he's been calling out to him and he needs somebody that will go live and share Jesus with him. And you got the privilege 
And so to live on mission is to look for those gospel opportunities throughout our life. Instead of getting mad when the hot water tank goes, you know, maybe, maybe in this there's going to be that gospel opportunity. When we get the flat tire, when you go to the doctor and you, you, know, you don't get the news you want, is there someone along the way in all this testing where I'm going to get to live and to share Jesus? You see, that's what the gospel does to our life. It gives us this eternal impact, this eternal perspective. Realizing that, hey, nothing happens by coincidence. God is in charge. What does he have for me to do in this? To look for those, those ministry opportunities. Look, I don't know what you're going through today. I'd, I don't know what the doctors told you. I was talking to someone last night that just lost their, their job. Tough stuff. Circumstances are hard. But instead of Instead of wondering, God, why don't you love me? Or, God, why have you done this to me? Or, 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 poor me. Maybe what we need to do is we need to lift our eyes to the one who is in control, who's promised that he is with us, to promise that there's nothing that would touch us that he didn't allow and say, okay, God, new adventure here. Probably not one I would have actually signed up for, but, you know, this is where you want me. I'll go. Lord, who do you want me to minister to? Verse 14, it's not only about the gospel, but it's about discipleship. And most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. You see, when you and I go through difficult stuff and we live on mission, when we see hey, God's got something new for us and we don't get mad and we don't get angry and we don't get down and we don't get depressed, but man, we get excited because, hey, this is, this is a new place. God's got me here for a reason. It not only blesses those that need to hear gospel, it blesses those people that are watching your life and it encourages them. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Christianity is more caught than it is taught. All of us, if we would talk, think about the most significant people in our spiritual life, probably wasn't some pastor and what he taught you. It was somebody in your life who lived it. And you think about Paul. He was saying is, hey, we got other pe- people here in Rome. Now think about being in Rome. I mean, that, that, you, you know what the political climate in Washington, D.C. is today. How, how would, difficult would it be to be in Washington and be a testimony for Jesus? You know what that's looked down like. In fact, where did I just read that, that now, um, you know, that, oh, for adoption, that anybody who's a Christian, they're, they're, uh, one state now is, if you're a Christian, that's going to put you to the bottom of the list. I don't want Christians because that's bringing religion into it. I mean, that's just our culture. And that's where we're at. And so, you know, you're in the belly of the beast. And so what is it? Well, hey, we'll just kind of be quiet. We'll just kind of live it. You know, we'll just kind of do it. Here's Paul talk about in the belly of the beast. He's with the soldiers who got the knife who can end his life in a second. And just say, oh, he tried to get away. It's done. And he's sitting there witnessing for Jesus. Maybe I can live for Jesus and witness for him out here on the street. And they're encouraged. And then Paul tells the Philippians, and they're encouraged. And for 2,000 years, people have been encouraged. And if you've ever read the life stories of people who have been persecuted for their faith, Philippians is a huge book to them. 
because it gives them encouragement that it falls out for the further. And that's why you hear the stories of people going to prison and starts great ministries. People are getting saved in prison because of the book of Philippians. And when you and I live on mission, it is an encouragement to others. I think back to people in my, my own life that were encouraged. I, I remember a guy by the name of Cordell Brown. I've told you about him, Cordy Brown. Cordy was born with cerebral palsy. That's when, you know, right as you're being born, those last few moments, you don't get enough oxygen to your brain. So it affected his speech. It affected his motor skills. But he, he was born, he, he had a great spirit, he came to faith in Jesus, and he just became convinced that God don't make no junk. And God loved people with disabilities. And so he started a camp, they had a farm, and so his first camp was two physically disabled people, and they gave him four days of camp. And that blossomed into a year-round incredible facility, camping ministry, that... Uh, people with disabilities, physical, mental disabilities could go to camp. And that led into seven group homes. And, and man, it was such a blessing to me. You talk about difficult circumstances, it's not fair. And yet he'd go on and live for Jesus. And I remember another guy, and I didn't know him as well as I knew Cordy. He was a missionary. His name was Don Penny. He served in Senegal. He had been there 20 years in this Muslim community, preaching the gospel, building relationships, sharing Jesus. 20 years. And I'll never forget when he shared in the 20 years that he had been there, the time that I talked to him, that he had seen two people come to faith in Christ. Two people. Man, you know, you could go someplace else and see a boatload, but God didn't call him someplace else. He called him the son of God. And that question, hey, why are you doing this? Do you, do you do what you do so you can see results, or you do what you do because this is what Jesus asked you to do? And you be faithful to that. And man, what a, what a, what a testimony is stirred in my heart. I can remember some of those early years here at Desert Springs where we're giving it everything we got, and nothing's happened, and we're not seeing people get saved. We're not growing. Money is tight, and... I could just remember Don Penny just faithful to what God had called him to do. By the way, really cool backside of that story. As a church, we got to, for years, to support Ed and Alice Statler, who served in Senegal. Ed's gone to be with Jesus. Alice just retired about two years ago. Do you know that Senegal has had an incredible turn towards Jesus? I mean, almost like a mini revival that has come. There's Bible colleges and seminaries and the gospel. Why? Well, because people were faithful. Folk, when you and I live on mission in the midst of difficult circumstances, I mean, I'll never forget sitting there in that hospital room, emergency room, when they came in and, you know, announced to my dad he had leukemia. Man, as I'm kind of reeling, going, oh my, what does this mean? You know, he, he's up, he's starting to witness to the doctor. I mean, that's, that's the idea. And I tell you, it makes an impact. And so our lives should be lived daily with open hands to the Lord. You know, we talked about worship, yada, but the idea is with an open hand saying, God, you know, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whomever you want me to talk to, however you want me to live for you, God, here I am. Lord, today as I wake up and before I put my feet on the floor, God, wherever you want to send me, whatever circumstance you want to put me in to live for you, that I'm, Lord, here am I. Here am I. 
That's what it means to have a gospel perspective. Live on mission with the eternal perspective when it comes to circumstances. Yeah, in the moment it's tough. Yeah, in the moment we don't understand. Yeah, in the moment, man, this is not what I wanted. But you know what? God knows where I'm at. God loves me. What is God trying to do? How, how can this further the gospel? How can I live and share Jesus? How is God going to use this in the lives of people that are watching my life so that they will go on? Let, let's close with this passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says this. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our tr- present troubles are small and they won't last long. Yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Gospel impact. Live with the eternal perspective. Don't let the circumstances weigh you down, but realize that in your circumstances, God can use you for the furtherance of the gospel, for the building up of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Live and share Jesus.